0: Hello, I'm Michelle Tassaneri, your host for the California Staffing Professionals Visionary Thinkers podcast, a series promoting excellence in the staffing and recruiting industry. In this podcast, we meet visionary thinkers and talk with them about their career and journey into staffing and recruiting. Along the way, we learn everything from how they started to where they are now. We uncover what inspired them and who helped them along the way. We dive into what challenges they've overcome and gain insight into how to be successful in the staffing I know you'll enjoy listening to these inspiring stories. Thank you for joining us. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. Today on CSP's Visionary Thinkers podcast, we have Judy Lawton, CEO and founder of the Lawton Group and TLC Staffing. Judy Lawton founded TLC Staffing and the Lawton Group in 1985. She is directly involved in the community outreach to position her company at the forefront of the industry. Judy's professional and community leadership includes past board president and present board member for the California Staffing Professionals, past board member and secretary to the San Diego Workforce Partnership, past chair of the San Diego Private Industry Council and Workforce Investment Board, past chair and member of the Adult Programs Committee, and secretary and board member of Second Chance. Judy's recognitions are numerous, including CEO of the Year nominee for San Diego Business Journal, Enterprising Woman of the Year, Enterprising Women's Magazine, Women Who Mean Business Award, San Diego Business Journal, Bravo Award by the National Association of Women Business Owners, Women of Distinction by San Diego Regional Conference of Women, and the James R. Pierce Award for the California Staffing Professionals.
1: So it is just a great honor to have you here, Judy, but As long as the list is, we didn't even touch it. I mean, we've got some of it in there, and you're just such a warm person. That sounds like a stuffy list, but but it it just keeps going. I mean, and you're just so warm. And you started in staffing quite a while ago. Can you tell us a little bit about your life before staffing? Uh, You know, where you came from, how you came to be in California, uh, and how you came to be in staffing. Oh, sure.
2: <laughs> Actually, I was married to um, a naval officer. We were stationed all up and down. I'm from Florida. We were up stationed in Key West and Charleston and Norfolk, Virginia and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I mean, we've been all over all over the East Coast. And he was stationed here in San Diego. He he, he received orders to come out here to be in the Deep Submergence Rescue Vehicle Program, which is a little tiny mini submarine that goes about five miles deep in the ocean. And back in the day, it would mate to a mother submarine that perhaps was sitting on the bottom, and it could rescue all of the the crew members. So we came out for kind of an exciting program. But unfortunately, I really did not want to be married anymore. (laughs) And so really the only reason I made the trip out here, I had two children. I had a two-year-old daughter and a a seven-year-old, eight-year-old son. And so, um, I had really never worked. I was married when I was 18 and we came across country and uh, settled in San Diego. And I only came out here because I had never really had a job, had no way to support myself if I wanted to be on my own. So I went, actually went to a modeling school. I went to Barbazon School of Modeling and literally learned how to sit on my one fanny cheek and not look fat for my job interviews, which I used to call all the time when I would do job readiness training for people with my one cheeker. So, uh the first job out of modeling school was for a staffing firm. They advertised for models in the newspaper. And I, you know, hot little in my hand. Of course, I didn't know then that I was way too old. I was 28. I was too old and I was very, I was too small. Only 5'4". And they want you to be, of course, a lot taller and probably a little thinner and 16 years old. So anyway, so I went. I went to the staffing firm and they were advertising for people to work at savings and loans back in the days when every reinvestment period, the, the beginning of every quarter, all the old people would come in and change their money around from one account to the other, trying to make, you know, a few more dollars on their investments. And I was handing out cookies and pies and coffee and punch. So it was, it was kind of a fun gig, but it got me in there. And I think that that lasted for maybe, maybe about six months. And the staffing company that I worked for back in the day, was American Girl, who went bankrupt in New York, took down all the franchises, and they became T-Girl, T-Man, which became Thomas Temporaries, and heaven knows what it is now. But um, they asked me if I wanted to be an outside sales rep. And I said, well, what does that mean? She said, she handed me a stack of cards. She said, you'll figure it out. And and off I went. And so that was in 1972. And I've been actually doing staffing, other than a brief stint with – which was a federal government training program, which is how I got into all my workforce investment boards and all of that stuff eventually. But I did that for three years and went back to staffing. And uh, that's how – and I finally got my divorce in 1982. So it took me 10 years, but, my golly,
1: determination pays. That's a whirlwind. Uh, and how you actually took some of your experience and applied towards staffing uh very resourceful because it sounds like you're – model prepping gave you some really great skills for helping people to interview. And I guess we'll we'll delve into that a little bit later, but uh what do you think happened that when you realized you really wanted to be in staffing? I mean, what was it that that you're doing this, you're opening accounts, and you realize, wow, I'm I'm in staffing and I, I like it or was it not quite that clear? Did you I mean I did know. you I
2: remember driving back. We were—I think—we were up in Orange County somewhere. And we were driving back along the freeway, and we came through Sorrento Valley. And, and of course, this was 45, 50 years ago, so it was a long time ago. And things were very different. Looking back in those days, 805 had just opened up here in San Diego. It's now just a major thoroughfare. But I looked over at all those buildings and all of those companies, and I got a little flutter. And I thought, you know what? This—I could make this to be a really fun thing. It Doesn't have to be scary and and daunting, it's, I, I can make it fun, and that's exactly kind of been my my philosophy ever since. You know, if it's not fun, you know, move along. We tend to, you know, if customers are just not very nice to us, or they balk with paying, or you know, it's like, you know, you maybe you need to move on and find somebody that's a little more compatible with you. And I have no, I have no qualms about doing that. You know, it, it, life is too short to put yourself in such a bind. But I think the first moment that I know knew that I liked it. Was probably the first time I brought in a couple of job orders and got my first commission check. That was pretty cool.
1: That first commission check is almost everyone's big moment when they when they realize that first big commission check or just the first commission check. Oh uh, uh, yeah,
2: but I don't think anybody wakes up in the ninth grade and says, "Boy, when I grow up, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to be in the staffing industry." I don't think anybody actually does that. I think you just kind of fall into it. And you uh, either love it or you really don't love it. And I've seen lots of people cut their teeth in this industry and just, you know, move on. And one thing I've always heard from a lot of my customers, they love to hire recruiters that have been in the staffing industry because they're so fast. And they understand urgency and they understand the necessity to get a job done quickly. And so it really does, it's a good training
1: ground. Mona, you handed the stack of cards and told to just get out there and figure it out. Did you ever, I mean... Did- Did you have mentors? I mean, were you your own mentor, or did did you eventually come across some people that mentored you? Um, Or did you you just kind of learn everything by osmosis or through networking and things? I think
2: I learned most everything through osmosis. I mean, I really never had any formal training, and and what a shame that is. And we found back in the day, and back in 1974, I worked for the gal who had been the office manager for T-Girl T-Man. And she was just a small independent staffing firm and I went with her. And well, I mean, we had, we had really had a great time, but there was absolutely no training. But she got involved in CATS, the forerunner of CSP. CATS was California Association of Temporary Services. And so I used to go to meet it, but it was before there was a lot of training. There just was, you know, a lot, not a lot of activity as far as training. There was really nowhere to go to get it. You didn't have the computer programs you have now there really wasn't access. And I had two small children and really couldn't travel much. So it was difficult. But you know what? I was, in spite of myself, I was successful. I made lots of really, really good friends. And when we get to the part where we talk about how I started my company, it certainly pays off to have good friends who are your
1: clients. You guessed my next question. Absolutely. I mean, you started your own business. Uh, You didn't acquire another business. You started your own business. What made you want to do that? I mean, did you have help along the way? Did you just wake up one day and say, I'm going to open my own business? (laughs) Uh, I don't know what to do. I'll just open my own and see what happens. (laughs) Well, It was a lot more dramatic than
2: that. I, I, you know, after I left my little independent
1: staffing firm, I went to work for
2: a CETA funded training agency back in the day before it was the Workforce Investment Act, it was, Comprehensive Employment and Training Act, which was back in the 70s. And uh, I worked for an agency, a nonprofit agency, that represented all of the private, technical, and other business colleges in San Diego. There were, oh, maybe 50 members of that, and there were five who were very instrumental in forming this organization. And one-on-one, all of these private schools were going into federal to federal dollars, and one-on-one, they were all getting shot down. So they organized, and they went and collectively And they came out with a million six. I was a lot of money back in 1978. And I was their assistant director for three and a half years. But then they knew that I would be able to place all of these people. So in three and a half years, I placed 850 people that had gone through 25 different training areas. We did legal secretaries, and we did auto body repair, and we did accounting and bookkeeping. We did LVNs, and we did operating room tech. I mean, there was just a myriad of programs that we that we offered people. And some of them were two years long. And so some were really easy to place and some were not. But that's how I really got into all of this workforce development stuff that I've I've volunteered for. And so after that stint, I went to work for a company that was only technical. They only hired drafters, designers, technical writers. Pretty much that was it. And so they hired me to be their outside salesperson. And, you know, off I went. Well, within six months, they were starting to lose contracts with big companies like Cubic because they didn't offer full services. They didn't have clerical. They didn't have the light industrial. And so knowing what my background was, they called me in and asked me if I would mind developing this whole new division for them. So, man, talk about thought you died and went to heaven. I mean, I I love these two guys. They were absolutely fabulous. We had so much fun. And three and a half years later, they abruptly fired me. And I have... To this day, and this is where it gets really emotional because i it was it was such a blow. It was absolutely an ego ripping, heart out kind of thing that I I just never got over it. I mean, it was a Friday morning and I walked in. I'm, a, I'm an early person, so I was in there at seven, kind of cleaning up the lobby, getting rid of yesterday's papers, making the copy for when everybody else came in. And one of the owners came in at like 7:15, which was highly unusual because he was usually 9:30 or 10. And he's called me into his office and he handed me a check and he said, your services, you know, with this company are no longer required. He walked me down the hallway into my office with a box, helped me clean out my desk. I drove a company car for three years, so I I didn't even have a vehicle. They emptied the trunk of my car and uh, drove me home. I was home before 8 o'clock in the morning. And that was the most incredibly miserable weekend I've ever spent in my entire life. And I think that, rather than decide to start my own business i decided very decisively that i would never give anybody another shot like that so i was i was up and running and in business within 5 weeks um, my toughest task was finding a spot i found ct kelly at ctk i mean he was my very first out of the out of the shoot insurance guy for workers comp and i had a very good client for years and years and years i called him uncle arthur he was the nicest man in the world and he gave me a loan on my house. By this time, I was divorced and had wrangled with my, with my, my ex was actually a pretty good guy. I don't, I don't hate people that say disparaging things if they don't have to. And he was a pretty nice guy. So I gave up his military pension forever if he would give me his share of equity in the house, which at that time was $44,000. So I took a loan of $44,000 from the equity in my little house out in San Carlos. And I had $12,000 in savings, and that's how I started my company. And Lori Schmidt, who had been with me for years at, at, at my other company, came with me. And she had a new baby, so she worked pretty much part-time. But together, I mean, I, you know, we ran out of money so quickly. Every single client but one came with us. And we didn't do the technical piece, but we surely did everything else. So we, we were up and running from April 8th was our anniversary in 1985, our first day. By December 1st, when we incorporated, we were doing over a million in sales for that first, what, nine, ten months. So, you know, we did very well very quickly, but we certainly ran out of money just in a, in a blink of an eye. So we knew every accounts payable person. They were our new best friends. <laughs> we knew their anniversaries, when they had fights with their husbands, when their babies were born. I mean, so we were busy back in the day before fax machines and uh, and. Computers, we just had to get in our car and go. And uh, we discounted receivables, anything to make payroll every Friday for two years. It was quite a circus. But, you know, I'm really glad that I had that experience because I don't think I would appreciate companies like Flexible Funding and, and Bank Receivables Credit
1: Lines without that. I was something. And because you experienced that and you kind of appreciate those other, other companies, if someone's new into the industry, do you kind of recommend that they... They keep their eyes open and look at these other opportunities for helping them with to be flexible with, with their payroll funding. In
2: retrospect, and here, I mean, here's where all the training that I never had didn't pay off for me, that I didn't realize that I could have gone to another staffing firm and payrolled all those people to them. I mean, I didn't know that there was a, such a thing to do, that there is help out there for new companies. If they don't have enough cash, you can do it other ways. And so, but, but again, it taught me some really valuable lessons you know i became a really good collector
1: <laughs> so we just had no choice right well and the other thing i you probably learned the hard way like a lot of people do in the industry is to walk away from bad business
0: they're not paying their
1: invoices better to cut your losses i don't know if you have any words of wisdom on that or if or if people are paying too low to begin with if they're trying to lowball you on your on your rates whether you're doing you do direct hire and the temp staffing. So uh, do you have any words of wisdom on dealing with clients who are either lowballing balling on uh, the rates uh, for either that they're going to pay your firm or or the candidates that they allegedly want to hire, but they don't want to pay for them? <laughs>
2: So oh, you know, after all of these years of doing this, I don't think there's anything that we haven't experienced. I mean seriously, if there's a way you know one thing we learned a long time ago is that any attorneys firm with something and something in their name, Smith and Smith, walk away don't do I've never in my life seen people that could weasel out of paying a bill faster than some of these attorneys firms the the little ones, not the not the great big ones, not the reputable ones. So, you know, we, we learn very quickly if they try to really lowball you, it's like, you know, maybe we're just not the service for you. Keep moving on. Maybe maybe one of the really big ones can afford to carry your payroll for three months, but I can't. So, you know, we're just going to have to part company. And lots of times they'll come back and they'll understand. But if they have so little respect for you and what you're doing and how much you're really helping them, then, you know, there's really nothing in it for you to be there. I understand desperation and that you'll take any business at first when you first start out. But, you know, just because it's
1: there doesn't mean it's good business. So don't be
2: afraid to walk away.
1: That's very good wisdom there. Did you find yourself picking um, a niche or did your niche and specialties that you go in kind of find you? Uh, because you mentioned that you you tend to work in certain areas. How did that did that just kind of happen as well, naturally? And did you do you go after certain kinds of business? Do you target those, or is most of your work now coming from referrals?
2: Well, you know, I think one thing that we have never really done is, is light industrial. That's one thing that we've never been really good at. You know, pick, pick your poison. Know know what you can do, and know what you can be successful doing. Don't don't try to do everything for everybody. You just can't do it. We have definitely changed niches and tried new things over the years. At one point, back in the 90s, we were we were into ISO 9000. This was before the big tech boom, so we did we did engineering. We we've done accounting. We've done HR professionals. We modeled ourselves after some other large firms that that you know have the same umbrella but different avenues of niches, and uh, found out during the the Great Recession when everything just went. So far in the tank. I mean, that was the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. We decided, we we took a look back when we started to pull out of it and said, what, what really sustained us? And what really sustained us then was healthcare. Everything else went to hell in a handbasket. The IT was gone. Engineering was gone. Pretty much clerical was gone. I mean, it was just devastating. But the hospitals in Inland Empire really um, did a very nice job for us. And so we are still here because of that. So about five years ago, we decided to really concentrate in healthcare. So now we do LVN, RN, operating room technicians. We do billers, coders. We do lots of custodial work because those people all have to be credentialed. It's such a good, like, team up in, in Riverside is just so outstanding. They did get their, their joint commission qualification statements last year. So, so, you know, we're, we do have the, uh, the ISO 9000 stamp of approval or the Malcolm Baldrich award, however you want to say, but for the healthcare, this is it. And, uh, so we've, we've worked really hard to, to develop that niche and it's working well for us. We thought during this, this, this latest crisis that we would really be Bonanza time, but not so much. All of the hospitals that we deal with were busy in their ERs. They were busy in their ICUs, but everybody else, nobody's getting faceless anymore. And elective surgeries kind of went out the window. So they laid a lot of people off. They're starting now to call people back. So it's, I mean, it's, it was a very good decision to go into healthcare because it's, it's not been bad.
1: Well, I and mean, then because you're maintaining your relationships with all those folks, you're not just letting them have dead air, you're reaching out to them and and exactly. keeping in touch with them. They're going to look to you first, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. And it's not, we didn't give up all
2: of our other business. If somebody calls us for clarifier, I mean, especially here in San Diego, because this is where we started, you know, we have a lot of clerical business down here. A lot of, you know, a lot, of, but, but again, you know, we're concentrating more on the healthcare, but we don't turn business away. That's good business.
1: Those are good advice worth too, As far as a takeaway, because again, remember that this right now we're going through a pandemic and uh, I don't think we call it quite a recession, but a dip tied to the pandemic. But years from now, People might be listening to this as well. And what would you tell someone who either your younger self, who's about to join this industry, let's say it's you or your, you know, someone else out there listening in the audience. What would you tell them uh, to really to concentrate on on success, succeeding no matter what? All of this stuff going off in the, all of this noise, doom,
2: I, I, gloom. I get my biggest lesson would be never, ever stop learning. You can't ever say, okay, I know it all. I've done it all. New technologies are out every day. You have to keep up. I don't care. Even if you're an old fart like me, you gotta, you just have to keep up. You have to know computers and software, and you have to know what your competitors are doing. And, you know, I mean, who knew even four months ago, all the Zoom meetings that people are having and GoToMeetings and Microsoft Team and, you know, all of those tools that are available, learn how to do that. Don't be afraid of it. Learn how to do it and use it effectively because it's the only way you're going to stay up on top of things. It really, really is. And go to conferences and go to meetings and go and meet your peers. Your peers are going to be your best friends. They really, really are. I have some really great friends in the staffing industry and we have helped each other through thick and thin. It's just been like a family.
1: It really has. You definitely have helped a lot of people and I think a lot of people, it's it's one of those things... Anyone that knows you in the staffing industry, it's hard to say a lot without a smile on your face. It just is. It just is. Because, well, because you're a positive person. You're always lifting people up. And we have been talking about the hard times. We've been talking about the hard times and how hard it is and, and how you have to keep going. But do you have, I mean, someone who's successful right now and they're thinking, oh, well, you know, this is, this is interesting. Good. I'm successful. But success sometimes is fleeting. Sometimes you have moments of success. But then you can take a tumble. And I think you rawly shared some of that, you know, you're successful and then boom, the rug gets pulled out from under you For those people that might be listening that are either dealing with this now or they're listening now. and going, I'm good. But what is a word of wisdom you might have for them? Just, just to keep in mind, is that part of that? Keep going and don't stop learning. Or is there something more to that?
2: I think keep going and never, it's never, never stop learning, but, but you know what? Save your money. Don't, Spend what you don't have to spend. If you can have a year's worth of payroll and rent in your back pocket, you just never know. I mean, this is my fourth recession, and I, you know, it, none of them were fun. The last one, the Great Recession, was absolutely the worst thing I think any of us have ever been through. We we were all lucky to survive. We really were. And it it was just a mad scramble every day to keep up. And you just, you know, worry, worry, worry. But you have to never give up your faith. Never give up hope. Always be friendly and warm and trusting and help other people. I think that by helping other people, it makes you feel better about yourself. Even though there's no money in it now, you never know when it's going to come back someday. You just never do.
1: And So giving back is one of your secrets to success. Yes, it sounds absolutely giving back. And it, as far as someone who is looking for a way to pick a niche uh, or pick something different or do something different, someone who's either just getting started or and they're stuck and because they don't know what to do or they've been in this business for a while and they don't know what to do. They're really at a plateau right now because they are kind of frozen by economic or or fear or or just rejection it, can we talk to that just a little bit as far as do you do you what do you do do you i mean do you exercise do you do you uh, meditate do you do what is it that pushes you to that is it just that the past has rewarded you by do, just getting through it well what's I, your the trick the, the first
2: the first thing that that any of us needs to do is to belong to an association of like-minded people and people in the same industry. because, And, and, I, and I'm a big advocate for, for CS, always have been, because I can pick up the phone and call one of 15 people in this town, and we can commiserate for a few minutes. Maybe we'll go have a glass of wine, and suddenly the world is a little rosier because of that. Sometimes by helping each other, you're really helping yourself more. And I'm a, also a big believer in volunteerism. I mean, I, I've volunteered all over the city. And when you get a little older, you know, you're not you're dealing with 30-year-old HR people, and here you are in your 70s. You know, nobody really wants to see you walking through the door. So my advice is to get on boards, volunteer where where you can, where you're interested. You know, I did the workforce investment board stuff because that's what I knew. And I was good at that, and I was—I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And you talk about helping people—that's a real crying need. I know Tom has been on the web in Orange County for a long time too. It helps a lot. It helps to to have somebody else to talk to, to bounce ideas off of, to commiserate with. It's, it's just to know that you're not alone going through this is wonderful. And if you need help, if you need financial help, if you need moral help if you need whatever help you need and maybe maybe you've got a a good job order and you don't have a person pick up the phone and call somebody in the same niche as you are and see if they'll do a split with you you know there always are ways to stay involved and if if you're busy you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself
1: that's true that's true keeping busy having a purpose having a plan of action those are important and i think when we're when we're sitting here Wondering what to do next. How many times a day you hear, "What's going to happen next?" Someone will say that in a phone call, and you're like, "Don't ask. <laughs> Don't ask.
2: You're going to depress yourself if you ask." Right. <laughs> right. We,
1: well, but no, no you, you have to make it happen.
2: Yeah, you well, have I'm, to go out and make it happen for yourself. Stop. Stop sitting on the dime. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Everybody else is in the same boat as you are. Go make something happen. Just go make it happen. And I don't care if you walk up and down the street and the dogs follow you. You're, you're in a parade. You know, be happy.
1: Well, I think if I think if dogs like you, that's a good thing. If they're following you, as long as they're not trying to follow you and chase you and knock you down. <laughs> I, I'm
2: carrying the banner. <laughs> there
1: you go. Um, and we say that, you know, people. When when someone when I, when kids and dogs love you, everybody loves you. You shared so many so many things with us today. I'm sure our listeners are going to get. I was shot in the arm, so to speak. Their own little vaccine against negativism uh, by listening to this today. Uh, I don't know if there's. I mean, you've been so gracious with your time. I don't know if there's any other words of wisdom you have that are like your secret sauce to success in staffing. But if you feel like sharing any more tidbits, that would be great. I've always and
2: I and I I love Maya Angelou. I thought she was brilliant, and I thought she was
1: so sensitive
2: and such a nice woman. Um, and such a talent. Oh my God. But she had a saying, and, and I, and I absolutely and go, go back to my, to my, my rude awakening when I got fired from my significant job. Her saying is people may never remember what you say. They surely will not remember what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. And I've absolutely lived my whole business life with that notion. Anybody that walks into my lobby, of course, nobody comes into your lobby anymore. That's kind of a misnomer. It's all done over computers. But back in the day, people would walk into the lobby and they would go, God, you make make us feel so good. I'm glad I came. Because if you can leave people with hope, if you can leave them with a sense of, I'm okay, I'm going to be okay, somebody else believes in me, you've done your job. And just remember, when they walk out your door or they leave an assignment or they get maybe they get fired from their position, the way you do it makes all the difference in the world. Again, give them hope. Give them something to look forward to. Make them believe in themselves. Make them believe they can do it. And you've got it made.
1: That's all there is to it. That's very complex. It sounds simple. It's a very complex thing to do. And you do it with such great art form. You've been so successful. And I know that you have many more years of success coming your way because you've worked so hard and because you give back. And we are. <laughs> well, thank you. We are so delighted you joined us today Judy and uh, we can't thank you enough for sharing these words of wisdom Um, so remember Judy says to give back and people may not remember what you say but they're going to remember how you made them feel uh, whether it's a client or a candidate again Judy thank you so much Um, thank you all for listening to today's visionary thinkers podcast take care till next time
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of CSP's Visionary Thinkers podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest thinker story. If you'd like to hear more visionary thinkers reveal their journey through the staffing and recruiting industry, please subscribe via your favorite podcast source. And please tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. For more information about the California Staffing Professionals and how we can help you in your staffing and recruiting business, visit our website at cspnet.org. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. Until next time, this is your host, Michelle Tasnery saying stay vital with CSP.